ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Okay, let's get this show on the road and get the car started if we can. Motor Talk with Toby Hagen. Tobes, good evening. G'day, Phil. How are you? Pretty good. You've been to Melbourne and back in a Tesla. I have, yeah. I just did a cheeky trip how'd, down there. How'd so, that go? How'd that go? Um, it went pretty well, yeah. Look, I, I I think we spoke about it previously that I, in January I drove from Sydney to Brisbane and returned in another electric car, Yeah. And um, which was fine. If you pick the, the very fast, the ultra-rapid chargers, you can, uh, you can certainly do it, but you need a fair bit of planning to try and pick the ones that are working. That's a real issue with some of these mm, ultra-rapid chargers. a lot of them don't always work. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And also try to try to find one that's free. And I was pretty lucky. I didn't have any. I had one that I had to wait about six or eight minutes for, and that was it. But uh, you do have to do a lot of planning, a lot of thinking when you're doing that sort of trip. But the Tesla down to Melbourne and back was uh, you basically don't think. You get in and stick it in the nav, and there's so many options. There are 11 different supercharger locations between Sydney and Melbourne, and between those 11 supercharger locations, I had almost 90 different bays to choose from in well, terms of plugging in. Okay, so it's yeah, it's a pretty it's a, it's a popular track, I guess, but yeah. uh, clearly no problems at all. Mm, okay. No, no problems. So the point where, as I said, I didn't do any planning. I just got in the car and, and took off, and I also st- found myself, as I was looking at the nav and looking at where it was telling me to charge, I found myself just cancelling one, saying, no, I don't want to go there, I'll go to the next one. And so you had that flexibility of being able to choose where you wanted to go. Sure. Toby Hagen, motoring journalist, of course, uh, with EV Central. EV stands for electric V for vehicle, but we talk about all kinds of cars. Don't worry, it's not just electric cars. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes people say, why are you banging on about electric cars? Well, because there are reasons. EVcentral.com.au is the uh, website if you'd like to know more about all that. And if you don't get your question answered tonight, by the way, Send him an email, uh, a peremptory email. <laughs> no, no, just send your question to advice at evcentral.com.au and questions and answers will be um, attended to by Toby himself. Uh, let's take a call or two. Oh, actually, before we do that, no, 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 actually, let's do this one. Ronan from Perth. G'day, Ronan. Hi. Hi, Ronan. Ronan? Uh, my question is... Um I was wondering, I've got a 2000 Hilux and I was wondering what, how big of an engine could I put in it? <laughs> um, what are you planning, right? <laughs> well, look, obviously, um, well, yeah, go on. I, I was thinking of putting like a smaller V8 in it, you know? Yeah, I mean, look, obviously out of the States, you know, General Motors in particular, Ford as well, do crate engines where you can um, where you can buy the package and, and bolt them into your car uh, and obviously you can get engines holding and Ford engines locally that have uh, that have been in a wrecked car and, and try and put them in. So look, there's really, to some extent, there's not a massive limitation on what you can do, provided you've got the budget. And that's the thing. These, these sorts of projects can cost a lot of money. And I remember years ago, um, overseas, I think it was, someone took a Lexus V8 and put it in a Mazda MX-5, the little tiny two-seat sports car. So again, you've got the, you got the willpower and you've got the, the budget to do it you'll get away with a fair bit. And obviously something like a Hilux with a ladder frame chassis and, you know, a bit of room under the bonnet, you'd be able to muck around with things like that and um, and, and I would say wouldn't have the slightest issue fitting a V8 in it. But I would imagine it would get quite costly. So, um, so start saving for it because um, 
because yeah, those sorts of projects can certainly add up, and it's, it's it's probably a bit like renovating a house. You know, you start off thinking I'll spend X amount, and you it's X plus X plus Y, so it ends up being um, a little bit more. Hmm. Okay, Ronan, uh, knock yourself out. Uh, <laughs> frankly, one three hundred eight hundred triple two. Julie from Melbourne. Hi, Julie. G'day. How are you going? Pretty good. Um, yeah, I was just looking to upgrade a car to a, a small SUV but electric vehicle. Have you got any recommendations? Um, yeah, so this well, the the small SUV segment, um, you know, kicks off at around about fifty grand for the for the electric mm. SUVs. So you're mm-hmm. going to be paying more than you would for a um, for a regular uh, a regular petrol powered or even a hybrid powered um, SUV. And look, the ones to choose from. So it's actually officially classified as a mid-sized SUV, but the BYD Atto Three is a smaller mid-sized SUV, and that's pretty good buying. And the other two to stick on the list are Hyundai Kona and Kia Niro, um, which are a little bit more expensive, but um, have a bit have a bit more driving range and that sort of stuff. But look, what I would say is there's a lot of activity happening in that market um, in the next year or two. So Hyundai, mm-hmm. for example, is rumoured to be bringing out a, a small SUV. So below the Kona, um, certainly below $40,000 from a price perspective is, is uh, the expected target. And uh, that's not here till probably next year, but um, but that's sort of on the list as well. So it's um, so yeah, there's a fair bit going on in that segment, basically. That, that's great. Thanks, Toby. Good yeah, on you. Thank you. Thanks, Julie. Uh, just before we move on, Toby, there's been a lot of uh, hullabaloo in Canberra. Opposition's making hay about this. Well, they have to be making hay, put it that way, about these fuel efficiency standards. Now, we talked about this last time you were in. The government, uh, under Chris Bowen, has announced these fuel efficiency standards which will apply to the sale of all new cars. Now, mm. the uh, opposition saying, oh, this will make utes, you know, the most popular utes, Ranger and Hilux, thousands of dollars more expensive. And, you know, this is the to reprise their line from the last election at the end of the weekend. Yeah. Uh, what's the story here? Look, the story is it's being thrown around like a political hot potato at the moment. So there's, um, there's so much politicking going on, it's crazy, and there are so many wild claims happening. Um, and you've got to keep in mind, this is a very complex fuel efficiency standard. It's still got to go through Parliament, so it's still, uh, it's still not technically signed off, but the, the feeling is that it, um, it'll probably sail through uh, you know, at, at a level that, that the government wants it mm. to or something similar to it. But um, the standard, the standard calls for average fuel efficiency, average CO2 emissions across a, a company's fleet. So a brand like Toyota has a broad range of cars. They've got everything from tiny hatchbacks up to big four-wheel drives and obviously utes in there as well. So they don't have to get every car to to be zero emissions or extremely low emissions, but they do have to have enough. They do have to sell enough vehicles that can potentially offset those thirstier vehicles. And this is where I guess you look at a you know Toyota is a good example. Uh, they've made for, for twenty three years now in Australia. They've been selling hybrids. They dominate the hybrid market locally, and they uh, they do a very good job of it. But their, their emphasis, their focus on hybrids has been on the smaller, more efficient cars in the range, uh, you know, passenger cars and so on. Their thirstier vehicles haven't really been touched and they're the ones that uh, are in the firing line, obviously, with this, um, this standard. And so Toyota's come out swinging, saying basically the standard is, uh, is too tough to meet in the time frame. That, and that's the, the crucial part here is they're saying we, need, we know this stuff needs to happen. But how come they, hang on, they meet this in other markets, um, don't they? Yeah, well, they have to in, in markets like the US and, yeah. and Europe, but Australia is very different in terms of the number of 
four-wheel drives and the number of utes. Yeah, but it's not as though they don't know how to do it. They do. 100%. They, know, they absolutely, absolutely know how to do it. They just, and, and they they just, don't, they just don't want to do it. No, and, and, and the feeling is that Toyota, Toyota had no idea that, that the government was going to come out with something this strict. They knew something was happening. The government had announced at the pre, before the previous election that they would uh, bring in something like this. And so they knew something was coming, but no one, certainly Toyota did not expect it to be this this steep. So, so, um, so yeah, they, they basically, they're saying, it to, it, you know, you need long lead times to bring new vehicles and new technologies to market. Well, yeah, that's right, but you've had the last five or 10 years to figure this out. You've, you've been, you know, they've basically been sitting on their hands watching this happen and got caught out. So they're, um, yeah, they've got a fair way to go. Hmm. Interesting. One three hundred eight hundred triple two. Malcolm from Perth. G'day, Malcolm. Evening, Phil. Evening, Toby. Just wondering about your thoughts on a LDV vehicle in general, but the G, I think it's a G10 Plus Executive Van. Um, yeah, look, I haven't driven a G10 for a while now, and they've uh, LDV is doing a sort of they've sort of midway through an update across their range so they've got the e-deliver 9 for example and the e-deliver 7 vans so the or sorry the deliver 7 and the deliver 9 vans funnily enough um so i drove that e-deliver 7 which is the sort of mid-size van and um the first one here is the e-deliver 7 so the electric version of it full battery electric vehicle 65 odd thousand dollars for that um, electric van and there is a a diesel version coming or a, a petrol or diesel version coming but LDV Australia said they had to put a case forward for it with China. So they basically said the way it's working with a lot of the Chinese car makers now is whereas previously you'd get the petrol or diesel one and you had to make a case for the electric or hybrid one, it's the other way around now. So China's basically switching to electric first and, uh, and oh, okay, if you want one that runs on fossil fuels, put a case to us and if we can do it, we'll, uh, we'll make it happen. So... So as I said, that the their midway they're sort of upgrading their their range, and that the Deliver Seven and Deliver Nine are massive steps up on the older models, such as the G10. Um, so things like safety systems, things like refinement, um, the way they drive, uh, and so on, the packaging and so on is much better with the new ones. So as I said, I haven't driven that G10 lately, but e, but LDV is certainly stepping up in terms of uh, in terms of its overall presentation and uh, and the vehicles generally. Thank you very okay. much for your help and a great show. Thanks, Malcolm. Good on you. Bye-bye. Gilbert on the text line, by the way, saying, enjoy the program. Look, you either a Passat Alltrack or a Subaru XT Outback. Which one would you think is better? Um, so the, the, the Volkswagen Passat is a slightly sharper drive on the road. It's a, a more dynamically adept vehicle, but um, the Outback for me is the better all-rounder so in terms of particularly if you actually want to take it on gravel roads and maybe down to the snow and that sort of thing then the outback would be a uh, a better bet and um as i said as an all-rounder it's um i find it a a, mm. a better car so um so yeah as i said the the passat's a terrific thing on road but uh not as clever as the subaru when it comes to that all-rounder ability okay righto um someone doesn't give their name here says on the text line, so I'm retired. Mm. Work 45 years to enjoy that. Please convince me why I should fork out for an EV to realise my retirement dream towing a 2.7 tonne van. <laughs> I've worked for so long, I'm finally there. Yeah. I'm waiting for an answer. 
Well, look, I would say right now, if you need to tow a 2.7-ton van, an EV probably isn't for you to, to go dragging that van around. So, get a, get, so get a diesel. I'm not yeah, going to sit here and try and convince you to do that because mm. it's, they're, they're just – there are not the vehicles there to do that at this stage. Um, if you ask me in two, three, four years, I suspect it'll be a different answer. We will have certainly have some options by then. But no, today they're just not there. They're not um, – you know, the, the, the ability to tow heavy loads such as that – over decent distances is is a challenge for EVs today. Um, it's not a challenge that's yeah. going to last for too long, particularly with these fuel efficiency standards that are forcing okay. more cars in. Hans from Benalla. Hello, Hans. How do you do? Well, I'm well. I, that's nice to know. Thank you very much. So am I. Uh, I'd like to know what you think about the trade-in value and the resale value on electric cars compared to uh, ordinary cars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, question. hot mm. topic this one yeah. <laughs> it's something that's that's come up a bit and, and a, a lot of people have said oh, um, values of EVs have tanked in the last year or so, 6 or 12 months they've certainly come off the value of every used car pretty much has come off, there's one or two exceptions but the value of all used cars have come off because we had crazy prices kicking around during the COVID era when, mm. when supply was short uh, what, has, what has happened with a number of those vehicles is they've gone into what regular cars do, which is depreciating. You know, and you buy a new car, you're pretty much guaranteed it's not going to be worth as much the second you drive it out. And certainly within a year or two, it's going to be worth less than what you paid for it. So, um, so yeah, that's certainly happened. But you, you sort of see a bit of a two-speed economy in the, in the electric used car market. You've got the... You've got the cars that have been rushed to market and, and almost we, we sort of refer to them as compliance cars, cars that overseas the car makers delivered because they had to meet certain regulations in certain markets. They tend to be not as desirable on the used car market and they've had an issue with resale on some of those. Um, the more popular ones, and I guess Tesla's at the top there, uh, they do hold their value fairly well. But again, Tesla's have come off in the last 12 months because mm. they were getting crazy prices. Now they're, now they're depreciating. Um, but... In the long run, I don't see any reason for an electric car to have any better or worse depreciation than a, than a petrol or diesel car. That said, the one thing that will potentially change the market moving forward is petrol prices or fuel prices generally. So you know, if we, if we fast forward a couple of years and all of a sudden fuel costs $4 a litre, then guess what? Petrol cars aren't going to be too attractive. If fuel's a dollar a litre, then petrol cars will be very attractive. But I don't know what the fuel's going to be in a year or two or three. It's um, anyone's guess. <laughs> exactly. Thank- what happens when you have to replace a battery? Same thing as when you have to replace an engine or a gearbox. It costs a lot of money and you probably won't bother doing it. So battery, battery packs in electric vehicles are designed for the life of the vehicle in the same way an engine or a gearbox is designed for the life of a vehicle in a petrol or diesel car. So there's all these myths going around that you need to replace an electric car battery after eight years. It's absolute rubbish. Um, you don't. The, the warranty on them is eight years, but the second the warranty finishes doesn't mean you're then replacing that battery pack. So, um, so if, if the battery pack dies at year 15 or year 20, car's probably a write-off in the same way that if a petrol or diesel engine dies at 15 or 20 years old, you're not going to go shelling out 10 or 20 grand to put a new engine and gearbox in it. You'll, you'll buy a new car or get, a, or get rid of it and scrap it. So, it's, um, so the, the expectation is that, uh, that EVs will be the same. So keep in mind, Toyota released its first electric vehicle this week, the BZ4X. Um, they are anticipating after 10 years that the battery degradation, so how much less capacity it's got, 
will be 10%. So basically, you'll still have 90% of the original capacity of that battery after 10 years of ownership. So, um, so yeah, it'll degrade. The battery will degrade like all batteries do, but they don't mm. fall off a cliff and they don't just die after eight years. So There you go, Hans. Thank you. Uh, 1-300-800-222. Uh, Ian from uh, the Hill in Newcastle says, Phil and Toby, given Toyota's recalcitrant stance on EVs, <laughs> could they eventually be the Kodak of the car industry? Well, I've heard a few people say this, yeah, sort of, you know, like a Nokia or something like yeah. that, or a Kodak. No, look, I don't think so. I think... They're um, smarter than that, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. And look, Toyota as a brand has, has amazing... Um, uh, the the faith people put in that Toyota brand is enormous. Yeah. So and look for good reason. It's yeah. fair to say that Toyota has realised now that it's off the pace with EVs and they're playing catch up. They won't necessarily admit that, but you can see it in their actions. You can see it with um with with some of the things that are going on behind the scenes. Uh, so no, I wouldn't expect Toyota to to be going anywhere fast. They sell close to ten million cars a year globally, and it's um. As I said, an enormous company with an amazing reputation. And if you think of what Toyota stands for, it's reliability, durability, trustworthiness, mm. all these sorts of things. All they've got to do is transfer that over to the EV space. And okay, it's not going to happen in a hurry so what's this, this year. What's this new Toyota like? When's it going to be available here? It's. I went to a dealership today to try and get in one, and the guy said, we're just washing it. It'll be on the lot this weekend. So they're here now. Okay. Yeah, so the dealership. What's it called? Uh, BZ4X. Gee, that's a, that rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? It does, yeah. <laughs> Beyond zero, and the number is roughly the size, and the X is SUV. So so, what, <laughs> so they're going to have a BZ3X and a bunch of other What's things. it cost? Where, where market it to the So it, the, the, the starting price is about $71,000 drive away. So like Not the, cheap. About te- so about <laughs> Tesla's price. So it's up against the Tesla Model Y, the mid-sized SUV. Yeah. It's about $500,000 more than the Tesla, So and it's got a lot less range than the have Tesla. Have you had a crack at it? I've had a crack at the so it's a a twin under the well it's a twin car with the Subaru Solterra. Mm-hmm. I drove the Subaru Solterra this week. I'm under embargo and can't tell you about it till next week. So, okay. <laughs> so yes, I've driven. I've effectively driven the Toyota. They drive exactly the same. Apparently, um, they look exactly the same except for the grill on the the yeah. the grill slightly different between the two. But sitting inside them. The rest of the panels, everything else is identical. The engines, the motors, and everything are identical. The battery's identical. So it's uh, they're basically the same car, but um, but yeah, look, range-wise, they're not as they hasn't got terrific range. So you're looking at I think it's 411 kilometres of range mm. claimed. So you can expect a little bit less than that. Um, but look, I guess the telltale here, Tesla sells of that Tesla Model Y, which is the top-selling EV in the country. They sell 35, 40 thousand a year. They did last year. I think it was 36,000, something like that. Um, Toyota's saying they will sell 1,500 of this in the first 12 months. So that gives you an idea of they sort of know it's not quite at the level of the Tesla. It's still got, still got a way to go. Mm. Uh, if, the, if the biggest car company in the country is only going to sell 1,500, it'll be one of their, their smaller selling models by a long shot. Long so, by a long way. Mm. Okay. And it's highly unusual for Toyota to come into a market segment and not try and... Own if the, not lead it, own the segment. Yeah. Be be at the top two or three, and they're going to be nowhere on that. So it's um. So yeah, they you know they're saying they'll get there, but uh, they've got a long way to go. Mm. Paul has texted saying, "I've got an eight-year-old Tesla S." Yeah, Model S. Yeah, I've done two hundred thirty thousand Ks. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. Mm. Of Ks. I've done two hundred thirty thousand Ks. Negligible battery. Degradation. Yeah. So there would be some, but yeah, I mean, the reports from overseas are that, yeah, Tesla's maybe 5 or 10% at that sort of That's level. Right. Mm. So it's, um, and look, the other thing I think Paul would have is uh, those early models came with 
free free charging for life. So they can go around to to some of the superchargers and just keep charging up for nothing. So it's um, not bad. Nadine in Abbotsford says, would you look at the new Toyota Subaru EV? Yeah, well, we have. I've asked him, but he won't tell me because he's, un- he's under embargo. When he comes back next, he'll tell, tell us about it. Yeah. Uh, Okey-doke. Uh, Ken uh, in Perth. G'day, Ken. G'day, gentlemen. How are you? Very well. Yeah, that's great. Uh, look, I just uh, thought I'd ask. I've got a uh, Calais. Calais, um, yeah. Yep. Yeah, Calais Sport Wagon 213 model. Uh, and it's um, six cylinder, you know, as as uh, brand new. It's only done 55,000 Ks. But we're considering uh, retiring. So would you suggest that I trade it in, get rid of it, and go for an uh, electric? vehicle or stay with this one because it drives like a dream <laughs> is it just out of curiosity is it the vf so the updated one that came out in 2013 or was it the ve uh ve oh ve okay cool so oh, sorry, you... vf oh, VF. VF. yeah cool yeah. yeah so got the new styling and so on and the upgraded interior yeah. and all that yeah look um so i would probably well i would be sticking with what you've got for the next year or year or two so there's there's a whole heap yeah. about to happen in the electric car market um, yep. But look, if you've got a great car that's still working fine, and and they were beautiful to drive those cars, and they they still are today, so I'd be sticking with it. Just seeing what happens with the market. As I said, I think you'll find a lot more activity in that EV market in the next year or two. But if you've got something you love now and uh, and still running fine, then stick with it and um and oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good on you, Ken. Wonderful. Thanks, mate. Thank you. Bye bye. Uh, Michelle's texted saying, Phil and Toby, we've got a Tesla Model S from 2013, mm. so 10 years old. Yeah, right. Oh, 11 years old. It's done 220,000 Ks yeah. and has lost 12% of its battery capacity. It did 400 Ks range when we got it. It's now down to 350. Yeah. It's, it's far from a disaster, is it? Uh, no, it isn't. And it's it's funny. A lot of people, that, that way of measuring range is um, not exactly scientific because, for example, if you took the car, if you lived in Queensland and you moved down to Tasmania and suddenly it's a cooler climate, yeah. then the battery will probably start showing less range because it's having to work a fraction harder to heat the battery pack to keep it up to the, the optimum temperature. And also depends on how you've been driving, how you've been using the air conditioning, all those sorts of things. So there are various factors. But look, apples for apples, if it's the same car and you've been driving it the same over those years, then yes, it is a relatively accurate way of doing it, but it's not, it's not a perfect way of measuring uh, sure. degradation. Okie doke, one three hundred eight hundred triple two. My earlier one who says I'm retiring, tell me why I have to buy an EV. Thanks for fielding my question, he says. Well, I think it's a he, I don't know. Uh, it doesn't say. Uh, problem is I'm seen by the governor as a pariah and environmental wrecking baby boomer. I worked hard for my retirement. Please let me enjoy it. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah no, enjoy it. If you want to tow a big van, a 2.7 tonne van, yeah, you'll a, need at the moment a diesel. Probably. Yeah, that's right. You, yeah, need, you yeah. need something with a bit of size. But, um, but look... It's funny. A lot of people ask about EVs, and and I look at the you know the people like that that mm. caller who says they they want to um you know they want to go touring the country. A lot of people doing that. A lot of the grey nomads and so on. They're not doing big kilometres each day. They might go fifty or hundred kilometres and then spend the next two or three days at a campground, and spend. Yeah. Six months driving around If you're doing the a lap, you don't want to do a thousand k's a day. No, I mean, that, that's it. You'll be and back it, home too soon. And for all those people doing that, mm. EVs aren't going to be a major challenge because it's the range that's the issue. They're not going to have a problem towing that sort of weight. It's the range that's the challenge. But if you don't have to do, if you don't have to do eight hundred or a thousand k's a day, then then an EV could suit them. But as I said, even that, there's nothing there today that's um, easily going to do it. Yep. Okay, back to calls. Uh, Graham, sorry, Graham, you've been uh, waiting on there. My apologies. No, that's fine. Um, my question to Toby is, 
Is there a Porsche Cayenne EV available in Australia now? Uh, no, there's not. So the Porsche Cayenne is available as what they call, well, e-hybrid. So they've, um, they use them as effectively boosts. So they make 100 or 150-odd kilowatts of additional power for the, uh, over the petrol engines with that electric motor. Um, and they put them on the V6 and the V8 versions. And, um, yeah, they get a fair bit more grunt with that. But, no, a full battery electric version is not available. But the all-new Cayenne, which is, I'm trying to think when it is, 2026, 2027, something like that, that will be EV only. So Porsche has already committed to only doing electric versions of the next generation KN. And the Porsche Macan, which comes out um, later this year in Australia, again, that is EV only. So um, so by the end of this decade, Porsche is actually doing another um, electric car, uh, sorry, another um, SUV as well. They're going to have a larger one than the KN. So they'll have three in the family, Macan, KN, and this yet to be named larger one. And those three, by the end of the decade, will all be electric only. So it's, uh, you know, Porsche's one brand saying 80% of their sales will be EV only. So, um, but yeah, as of today, there are no EV KNs. Thanks, Graham. Good on you. Good on you. Yes, a couple more Tesla owners. <laughs> Paul <laughs> says, I've got two Tesla S's. <laughs> wow, um, collecting them. Mm, wife and I both travel 200K six days a week. Uh, each day used to be 40 bucks for petrol. It's now $6 a day. We mm. saved $10,000 on post-tax income on both. We're $30,000 better off each year. Mm. Wow. Well, you see, there there we are. All right, we don't have to just talk about electric cars, as you know, one 800 <laughs> if you like. If you've got questions to Toby, make sure you give him a call. Let's introduce some other listeners. ABC Radio. You're listening to Nightlife. Nightlife with Philip Clark. Yes, and this is uh, Toby Hagen with us, an edition of Motor Talk on Nightlife tonight. If you'd like to call, one three hundred eight hundred triple two, Lines free. Welcome to listeners in South Australia and the Northern Territory, live to the program. Great to have the entire Nightlife family listening live around the country. one three hundred eight hundred triple two is the number. Back to calls. Greg from Windsor. Hi, Greg. Uh, hi, Philip, Toby. Um, I pick up my... Tesla Model 3 on Monday. I ordered it into January. I could have picked it up last week, but circumstances prevent us from doing it. So the whole process has been really smooth. But mm. somebody's got to do something about the insurance companies. Mm. The, um, I, I, was, I couldn't believe the first quote I got, so I went <laughs> to a broker, and even the broker was quoted from 2500 to 7500 by various companies. Wow. I, I what, for comprehensive there. insurance? Yeah, comprehensive insurance for the Tesla Model 3, 76000 on the road with the autopilot. So you get the long and, range, right? Uh, oh, no, you got the autopilot. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, not the not the self-drive, you know, just the one you can All right, the standard one. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but to me, the ACCC or the government's got to do something. If they seriously want to, want, you know, average Joe Blow to get an electric vehicle, nobody can afford 100 bucks a week for insurance and, you know, like that's that's double what I'm paying now for my my wife had a Merc which we traded and mm. I had a Hyundai i30n and it's just even two and a half thousand dollars fifty bucks a week is ridiculous but yeah. I mean I'm happy to pay it and can Toby do you know why because I mean here's a car that's got seventeen moving parts you don't have to service it yeah um, 
I don't understand why it's so expensive. No, look, there's been some reports from overseas that, that it can potentially be down to if you damage the battery pack, which is an extremely expensive part of the car, then it effectively writes the car off. So, so it, can be, um, it can be hugely costly, which, again, probably isn't massively different to a car having a decent front-end crash and, and destroying its engine, for example. Oh. Um, I actually just just been through the same thing with a, with a Tesla Model Three, and and I had some quotes, yeah, around three and a half thousand dollars, that sort of stuff, but ended up getting it for about a grand. So it was, um, so I found there was enormous difference between some of the insurance companies, and I've also found that I've got two other cars that I had to insure, and they also went up enormously, um, and again didn't change anything with them in terms of where I was storing them or anything like that. And they both went up enormously, as did my house insurance. So, so it's um, oh, yeah, yeah, so well, yeah, my bus- yeah, my business insurance, everything's just gone up. It's ridiculous. Yeah, but, uh, but I, I just thought the range for a start, and the gap between these cars and you know the average petrol car, I just couldn't believe. Have you had a ring around, Greg? I mean, because we used a broker. Yeah, oh, yeah. So. I used a yeah, broker. I, yeah. Oh right. Yeah, yeah I, I went through like we both our cars. One was insured through Yui as our house is. We went through Yui. Mm. Five and a half thousand was the best they give us. Mm. And um, I also went through um, the car company I was insured with, and the broker ended up recommending Allianz, which is what we've gone with. But that was still two and a half thousand. Yeah. Wow. It's um, it's a fair bit of money, but as I said, I've, I, I'm I'm hearing a little bit of this anecdotal, but I also I look on chats uh, the like Facebook pages and stuff, and you you also see some people saying no, I got it fairly affordably. So whether it's down to potentially um, you know where the cars are garaged, maybe that's having an impact, but. Yeah, I'm not sure. And, mm. You know, as I said, it's, anecdotal is the feedback I'm getting so far, but I probably need to delve into it a bit more and see if it's a, a broader issue. Fair question. Thanks, guys, and thanks for the show, Phil. Love good, it. Good on you, Greg. Thank you. And it's a fair question, too. One three hundred eight hundred triple two. Um, boom, boom, boom. Where are we? Uh, Greg from Perth. G'day, Greg. G'day. Is that Greg from Perth, I hope? You're Greg from <laughs> Perth? I hope, yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, good day, Toby and Phil. I've got a, um, a Tesla and one of those uh, great big Ram trucks, but I'm just talking, uh, thinking about the, uh, <laughs> the yeah, it's sort of the yin and the yang. But they could both be replaced with this new um, electric truck that they've, um, well, they, I think they're releasing it in America. That's what I was going to ask Toby about. But the the new um, Ram, they call it a Ram Charger. Yeah. But instead of got a, a puny little um uh, generator on it. It's got the uh, the motor out of the uh, out of the Cherokee or whatever it is, the 3.6 V6. So it's got a, a proper 130 kilowatt um, alternator in it. Yeah. So it means that you that you know the way I see it, every these guys are ringing up saying they're retired and towing a van. They could do it with this thing. It's got a range of about a thousand k's, and it could replace like every mine truck, every government yeah. truck, everything in Australia. It'd be a real game changer if they brought it out. So can you tell me why they're not going to bring it out? <laughs> So, um, so the uh, I guess the the range extenders or plug-in hybrids um, have we we've got this sort of technology here with other vehicles now. So things like the Nissan X Trail E Power, for example, or Nissan E Power versions generally um, use a similar sort of deal, to my understanding, in terms of the electric motor does the driving, and then you've got um, backup from a motor that uh, from an engine that will provide the electricity, so back act as a generator. Um, in terms of why those cars aren't sold here now, I would have a guess at a couple of reasons. One is people love a V8 in Australia, so um, the minute you can get them a cheap V8, great. Um, and secondly, so the cost of those those 
plug-in hybrid or range extender systems tend to be a lot more. So the minute you're saying you can get an electric motor um, and, and a V6 engine, people sort of go, hang on a minute, I'll just have the V8, thanks, that's sitting there over there. But that is all going to change with this fuel efficiency, with these fuel efficiency standards, because the car makers will get heavily penalised for keeping a V8, but won't get nearly as badly penalised for having a um, hybrid or a plug-in hybrid system coming in. So you can expect a lot more of that stuff to happen over the next few years, and that's effectively why the, the federal government is bringing these standards in. Um, so, And the other thing is, yeah, look, suppose, uh, so plug-in hybrid I... technology is coming anyway. So Ford Ranger, for example, has said they'll have it out by later this year. Toyota's working on it for the Hilux. Um, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of brands working on plug-in hybrids for their utes. So we're getting plug-in hybrid utes coming soon is the short story. But sorry, I interrupted you. What were you going to say? I was just going to say, yeah, I was just wondering what you thought of Ram as a company in Australia. Are they that? Because they're obviously going to get it penalised, even if they drop their, well, they're dropping their V8s anyway, and they're going to these uh, twin turbo sixes, but they're still yeah. going to burn a ton, ton of fuel if you want to do that much work. But yeah. if the, are they the sort of company that would bring out the Ram charger? Because I reckon... It'll sell like hotcakes if they uh, if they do bring in these efficiency standards. Uh... Yeah. So um, so in terms of they'll still get penalised. Theoretically, they don't have to because Ram is committed to two fully electric pickup trucks in the states. So they've got them coming in the next couple of years anyway. They're already on the way. Oh, okay. Obviously, the challenge will be cost whether they come in at the right cost. So look, Ram in Australia is done by an importer that also looks after um, Renault and LDV and brands like that. And um, don't forget that all those American pickup trucks that come here, the Ford F-150, the Ram and the Chevy Silverado, all go all undergo a, a very um, intensive conversion process. So they basically strip the cars down to bare metal. They take all the um, engine and gearbox out. They take the, the wiring harnesses out. They take the, um, the carpet out, everything. The whole thing gets stripped back. Then they convert it to right-hand drive, and they do a very high-quality job of the conversions for, for all three of those cars. Uh, and then they put them all back together. So that costs an awful lot of money, and that's why they're so much more expensive here than they are in the States. So once you've got that going on, and then you've got the potentially expensive electric drivetrain, obviously it then starts looking a bit less appealing. And again, coming back to my earlier comment about V8s being popular, people love the sound and, and feel of a V8. Uh, will they warm to a, an electric motor, even though the electric motor will have better performance? Well, probably not, but... Um, but yeah, as I said, there's no reason, there's no technical reason that I'm aware of RAM wouldn't do that. It probably comes down to um, cost and uh, and whether they feel mm. they'll be able to justify the investment. Okay. Thanks for that. Thanks, Greg. Good on you. Bye-bye. Um, Jason in Perth, you, you reckon you know why insurance is so expensive, Jason? Uh, yes, so I've had a little bit of experience working in the car trade. Yeah. And um, we've had Teslas, we've had things like uh, wing mirrors faulty. And uh, we couldn't buy the part, it was an embargo part. They've got to go back to Tesla. Yeah. The insurance companies are uh, things like if you've got to take a door card off as soon as you unplug the, the handle and the buttons and such things, it sends up error codes into the system. So it's got to go back to Tesla, back to Tesla, back to Tesla. Yep. So there's a bit of uh, right of repair issue going on. Um, some people are learning how to crack the um, system now so they can take that off and put telemetry and things in cars. Yep. But it's still this sort of, uh, this, they've got everything under the one cover and they charge what they like and all the rest of it. The insurance companies are not happy about that and that's probably why oh, okay. you'll find that the prices are a bit high. That's my experience. I don't know if it's okay. still current with everyone, but we've had a few instances where, uh, yeah, the parts are embargoed, they don't sell them, you've got to go to Tesla to get it done. 
Oh, right. that's interesting. Yeah. It is interesting for a couple of reasons. One is Tesla spare parts tend to be fairly affordable. A lot of the mainstream things like, you know, wheel covers and um, wheels and things like that tend to be fairly cheap by, by um, you know, compared with some of the other, other brands. Uh, but the other thing is things like that, I would have thought the ACCC would be onto that. So the ACCC is always big on you can't force people to pay for a certain, you know, apart from the car company you have to be able to, you know, potentially buy aftermarket mm. parts if people offer them. Now, in some cases, they don't offer them. But, uh, but yeah, I would have thought they'd, they'd, the ACCC would be taking a pretty dim view of, of locking people out of doing that sort of thing. But, um, but anyway, that's another question for another day. Mm. Thanks, Jason. Good on you. Sorry. Appreciate it. Yeah, interesting. Um, on another matter entirely, Gordon, hello. Uh, good day, Phil. And Toby, how are you? Good, Gordon, Good. yes. You're... Yep. Um, Toby, uh, both you and I have raised at Bathurst. Um, you were in the 12 hours quite a few years ago, but mm. this Mercedes bought a, bought a special GT3 car there just re- for the recent weekend, a fortnight ago, and um, Jules Goodon went around the track in 1.56. Six, yeah. Now, yeah. Mm. Your little Fiat was probably doing about two forty. Yeah, a bit under. We got down to two thirty twos, I think, two thirty ones, but it's around that. Yeah, it's a fair bit quicker than the Fiat for sure. <laughs> it was a fair bit quicker than my Studebaker too. Two forty-seven. Yeah. What did the Studebaker do, Gordon? Two minutes and forty-seven seconds. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's on six-inch radials, and the car was thirty-two years old. So. Yeah. Six-inch six-inch radial tyres. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what a sensation. And look, he, uh, he did it on the Saturday. Um, I was up there and uh, he only did about four laps. Yeah. Well, obviously that car had massive um, tweaks. It didn't, didn't conform to the, to the, um, the, the regulations, which is why they did it as a demo, right, to show that you can do that sort of thing. And I don't know if you saw, I'm sure you did, um, a week or two ago when the Ford Supervan, the electric Supervan, went and bettered that. Yeah, by about three-tenths of a second. And that thing sounded incredible. So this was, depends on which report you listen to, whether it was fourteen or 1,500 horsepower or 2,000 horsepower. Either way, it was an enormously powerful electric van that had massive downforce and they called it a hyper van, or sorry, a super van, basically, um, you know, a supercar morphed from a, a commercial van. And, uh, and yeah, it did a 156.3-ish, I think, somewhere around there. So it was, um, yeah, two very quick times around Mount Panorama. There you go. Thanks, Gordon. Appreciate it. Um, Charlie in Carlton says, shop around when it comes to insurance for Teslas. Mine was three times cheaper with RACV versus Amy or Yui. Mm. There you go. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, boom, boom, boom. Pete from Kinglake. G'day, Pete. Oh, g'day. Yeah, uh, g'day, Tobe. Hello. And uh, Phil. Yes, right. yes, Pete. Um, yeah. Severe bushfire zone, they call it, where I live. You are, and, right. Um, yeah. It's been yeah. especially over the last few weeks, Pete. Oh, well, nah. yeah, a bit further away from Ballarat where I learned to drive a motorbike around. Mm. Went to the Norton factory on a 20-year-old Norton motorbike and they wouldn't have spare parts or something that old. But uh, besides that, um, yeah, um, electric vehicles in bushfire areas, they've got a lot of plastic and shit on them. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, um, but, yeah, all right. But what I've got is I have two Land Cruisers, yep. diesel Land Cruisers, and I've 
rely on them just as a security of having one there and one there. And if one won't start, the other one will get me out of the paddock, mm. uh, out of the bush. And, um, yeah, um, also I invented a, um, a system of spraying water on the tyres as they rotate so you can drive over. Um, so you're, you're, you're wondering what EVs would be like in bushfire-prone areas? <laughs> yeah, I don't think they'd be very good. So the, the the plastics and everything are no different to any other car. So you know everything these days has got plastic bumpers and well, mm. pretty much everything. Ineos Grenadier, I think, is a metal bumper, but <laughs> but um, everything's pretty much you know plastic bumpers and obviously more plastic. So so they're going to have the same issues there, I guess. The one big difference is what's going on under the car. So you've got the battery pack versus a, a, a um, fuel tank. Um, keep in mind, fuel tanks these days are all plastic. So in a bushfire. Um, you know, if it's hot enough, it's going to melt the fuel tank and suddenly mm. you'll have a bigger problem. So, I mean, the short story is I wouldn't want to be in a bushfire in any car, but um, no. I'm not sure of the, the ins and outs of, of what, uh, you know, which one would fare best. But uh, I did interview someone um, from EV Firesafe, which is a, um, they're, they're a very respected company, bit of government funding and so on, and interviewed the head of that recently. And she was, uh, you know, she talked about things like thermal runaway and said they they suspect it happens at around about 160 degrees when a when a battery cell gets up to 160 degrees. So I guess you've got to be fairly close to the fire, fairly you know very close for it to get the to get the components up to that sort of temperature. But uh, as I said, I don't think I'd want to be near a bushfire in any car to be honest. So no, be, um, no I stay away. Fair enough. Thanks, Pete. Um, Craig in WA. G'day, Craig. Just wondering whether you've had a chance to test drive the new Triton that's supposed to be out this month. And I have. have um, pros and cons? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. That was under embargo too. Am I allowed to talk about it? I think I am. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, actually, I don't on. think I am for another hour, but let's talk about it. So it's um, yeah, look, uh, I have, and it's um, it's a big, uh, a huge step up on the previous one. But keep in mind, the previous Triton was a, a very heavily warmed over version of the previous Triton before that, so it was feeling pretty tired. It, it wasn't hard to improve on where the Triton was. The the, tri- the previous Triton's big assets were, it was reliable and it was more affordable than most of the big guys. Now they've stepped up the pricing and they've um, they've made them more expensive, but. Um, it is far closer to, I guess, the two big ones in the class, which is your Ford Ranger and Toyota Hilux. I would put it ahead of the Hilux in terms of um, in terms of technology, safety features, um, thoughtfulness of the cabin, space in the cabin, and the way it drives. So I'd put it ahead of Hilux for that, but I'd put it slightly behind the, the Ford Ranger on the same sort of measures. So I think the Ranger is still a fraction ahead. But certainly the uh, the Triton has stepped up enormously, and the other one in that class, which obviously is pretty strong these days, is the Isuzu D Max and the Mazda BT50. Same car, but um, they're uh, you know it's now certainly in the hunt with that. So yeah, it's a it's a good thing generally. So um, so yeah, it's it's still not perfect. It's still got it still does Ute things. You know, it does a bit of a shudder over bumps, and and the steering's nothing terrific. It's now got electric power steering, which is what most cars these days have, but they had hydraulic power steering previously. Uh, and look, the engine, two point four liter engine, but it's a it's a bi turbo, a sequential turbo engine, so it it is more flexible. Um, one of the things that I didn't like about it, things like the stop-start system, when you come to a set of lights and it cuts out, it was a little bit clunky the way it did did that. But um, as I said, massive improvement overall, and now within the hunt of uh, of the big guys. Yeah, awesome. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks. No worries, Craig. Thank you. Um, I appreciate the call. 
Sorry for joining a discussion late, hope I'm not repeating content. When can we expect to be able to test drive the Solterra? If it's not this weekend, it'll be in the next week or two. So so Subaru's got them coming into dealerships. Actually, I think it would be next week, but you might be lucky. um, You might be able to find one in a dealership this weekend as well, but they're they're rolling out, it's a short story. Sally from Wyala. Toby, we're looking for a small SUV for my parents, generally only around town. Needs to be easy to get into and out of, and the back door needs to open to get a walker in. Hmm. Thinking perhaps a Corolla Cross or maybe a Qashqai. Yes. What are your, what are your thoughts? Certainly Corolla Cro- Cross is um, is one of the better ones in that category, and the hybrid version's terrific. Uh, the challenge will be getting hold of one because the the hybrids are pretty popular. Uh, Nissan Qashqai, yes. And one of the things Nissan's done with a number of its SUVs recently is make the doors open to almost 90 degrees. So things like X-Trails and so on, the doors open much wider than you'd expect. So fitting uh, clunky items in, chunky items in is a lot easier. Um, and the Qashqai, yes, but uh, I'm actually driving the Qashqai e-Power, so their hybrid version. I'm driving that next week, so um, we'll have a bit more to say about that mm. on the next show. Uh, but also look at a Kia Seltos and a Hyundai Kona, so two others to stick on the list. So they're both um, excellent buying as well. But yeah, the the um, the the first two you mentioned are great as well. Hmm. Okay, one three hundred eight hundred triple two. Where are we, Terry from Werribee? G'day, Terry. Oh, hello, hello, Phil and Toby. I've, I, can I talk sacrilege first and talk petrol? Yeah, go for it. No, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be with us for a long time, Terry. I, 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 I still I, classify I, myself as a petrol head, so go. Yeah. Oh, that's good. But you're going to like this. I, I've I, I've currently got, and I'm considering keeping, but I might unload it soon. I've got a, the last holding of petrol turbo ZB sedan with all the bells and whistles, and yet it's entry level LT. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's got a cracker of a motor and low curb weight. It's just excellent, but I looked at I looked at reviews on MG Five Petrol, one point three turbo. The, everything's really good, being an MG and all of the the savings you get from buying one of these things. What do you know about the MG Five? Uh, so the MG Five is at the more affordable end of the market, and it's it's sort of so MG slowly upgrading its range. So the MG Four, for example, is a terrific little entry level electric car. MG just this week announced the new generation MG3, getting all this new technology and particularly the safety features that the current MG3 doesn't have. The MG5 still in that older basket of, so even though it hasn't been here long, it uh, misses out on a lot of the safety gear and it's, it's... Yeah, ANCAP's not there, but I don't care about that. Yeah, there you go. Cool. You're saving money, but um, it's... look. It's eight nine ninety. Yeah, it's a basic car is the short story. And so I guess I'm saying you get what you pay for. You're not going to have... So it's got the, all the tech out, mate. Yeah, but the, the one and a half litre engine, I know you're saying 1.3 turbo. The one and a half, I've only driven the one, one and a half. I haven't driven the 1.3 turbo. Oh, that, that's gutless. Yeah, the one and a half certainly needs to be rode along. It's a pretty basic engine. The 1.3 turbo on paper looks better. And um, and yeah, it's a, uh, as I said, the car itself is very basic motoring, but it's got doors, it's got wheels and it's got a warranty. So it's, um, you know, from that perspective, yeah. it'll get the job done, but <laughs> right. uh, there's now, certainly better cars move, out there. Move, move to the electric, just, I thought, I thought it's gone a whole lot quiet about the Tesla Model 2 and what, it, what, what little bits of, of uh, gizmo it's got in it, but hmm. what's the latest for Australia too? With the Tesla Model 2? Yeah. So with anywhere in the world, um, they haven't revealed the car yet. They they keep talking about a smaller car. I'm not aware that they've actually called it Model 2 anywhere. They they certainly, everyone calls it that, saying it'll be called the Tesla Model 2. But um, but 
the short story is we haven't seen the car. Everything Tesla runs late, so if they tell you it's going to be here next year, I'd say 2026. But uh, they have said over the last couple of years that they're working on this car, um, but we just haven't seen it yet. So, look, I would not expect anything this year, possibly next year, probably more likely 2026, Mm. but, uh, you know, they are working on it apparently. Thanks, Terry. Good on you. Uh, What's better, Forrester or RAV4? Tough choice at the moment, says Mark from Bendigo. Things like the drivetrain, so the engine and the gearbox in the RAV4 are better. They're newer, particularly if you get the hybrid version. It's a, it works really well. It, um, it does a decent job. The Forester, uh, it's, it's got a CVT transmission, so a continuously variable transmission, and it's not very sharp off the line. So when you first hit the throttle, it's almost like a rubber band building up, and it sort of releases the energy slowly. So it's a little bit um, doughy in that regard, but the Forester I find better for um, so particularly if you want to go off-road. Obviously, the Forester is all-wheel drive only, whereas you've got to pay extra for that with the RAV4. But look, if you can get a RAV4 hybrid in less than six months, then I'd, I'd tend you towards that. But um, but the Forester is also terrific buying, particularly if you want to go exploring. Mm. Hey, by the way, Toby, I saw during the week that Apple have given up on trying to build a car. They have, yeah. Should we be distressed about this or not? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. Look, it's funny. One of the things they were trying to work on, obviously electric, but... Um, but driverless, so a full driverless car. And I dare say that they've figured out that not only building cars is an extremely tricky business, and, and I would think much lower margins than Apple would be used to. I, I would think they've got pretty pretty high margins on a lot of their, their tech products. Mm-hmm. And to get a high, a, a high margin on a car would be 10 or 15%. And I would have thought you know Apple would be many multiples of that on, on all their other products. But uh, the other thing is driverless cars. I mean, the technology is still years and years and years away, and I think they've probably figured out how difficult that is. And I guess the other thing, Apple likes to come in and reinvent, reinvent a technology or reinvent a segment and uh you know i guess you could argue that tesla did a fair bit of that years ago so um so between all of that i think they've got scared off but um but yeah it's you know it's a hugely capital intensive business and there there are many years of of trying to get to the point of building a car and as tesla figured out it's extremely difficult to do it well hey you've driven the the lotus just before you go the lotus elettra it's called elettra yeah this is so this is wild it's currently the most (laughs) powerful car you can buy in australia it's got more power than a ferrari v12 and it's uh so it's 900 about a third the size too yeah from a so it's it's a here's how unlotus it is normally lotus is lightweight sports cars Mm -hmm. this is a big heavy suv with uh dual motors it's made in china and it's got five doors five seats so it's hugely powerful um it's ballistic off the line absolutely crazy but nothing like what you'd expect a lotus to be full luxury and everything inside amazing you've got screens everywhere and uh, as i said nothing like the simplicity that i guess the lotus brand was built on but go. enormous power there you go toby time has beaten us but thank you uh if you didn't get your question uh advice at evcentral.com.au and you'll get your question answered you've been listening to a nightlife podcast For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife.